0: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, and today we're going to talk about Monroe County United Ministries. With me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have two guests with us today. Rebecca Stanzi is development coordinator for Monroe County United Ministries, and Heather Winnie is here. Heather is a a parent that uh, has been involved with uh, MACM for five years? Five years. Five years, right. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Welcome to both of you.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Mary Catherine. Hi, Bob.
0: Good to see you again. Good to be seen. All right. Uh, We have – we have a – we're going to take a little different kind of approach to uh, talking about issues today because uh, the folks from MACM uh, provide us the opportunity to take sort of a micro approach. Uh, it's, it's one agency that's looking at uh, a lot of the challenges that are faced by a variety of agencies in, in our community and other communities. So we're uh, really happy to have Rebecca and Heather here to to be able to sort of help us sort through some of these issues that, that they're facing. Let's uh, let's talk about MACM in general, Mineral County United Ministries. And Rebecca, could you sort of give us a short uh, history of MACM?
1: Sure. Mm-hmm. We have been operating in this community since 1939, Um what was then called the Bloomington Council of Church Women got together, realized that there was a need for childcare on on the Near West Side, what what they um, sometimes still call Pigeon Hill, and opened the Bloomington Day Nursery in 1940. And since then, we've been called the Christian Center and Monroe County United Ministries, and our programs have changed um, over the years quite a bit. But um, we've been a uh, social service staple in the community since 1939.
0: Mm-hmm. So you started, uh, it was started for daycare, and daycare is still one of the the primary services that you offer. Yes. Correct? Okay. How many how many children might uh, have daycare at Macam
1: We currently have um, 80 children enrolled. We actually have space for 120, um, but we lack the financial resources to enroll all the children. It's a frustrating situation because... Um, We have the space for 120, and we have a waiting list of over 50 children, and we have the capacity and and everything that we would need to enroll those children except the funding to uh, sponsor them
0: always money. Yes, always <laughs> comes down to money. That's right. Well, I, I could let you uh, explain why daycare is so important, but since we have Heather here, um, Heather, from, from a parent's perspective, you know, what makes that service uh, so valuable to you?
2: Well, coming into this as a single parent, uh, one of the the things that I was concerned about when I first became single was finding quality childcare that was something I could afford. And um, <clears throat> I had been... Uh, a stay-at-home parent for five years, so my earning capacity was pretty low when I first got out, and that's when uh, my children started at Mackum. And I had worked um, in a lower-income daycare facility as a child care director years before this, and the facility I worked in was just a very poor, poor poor-quality facility, so I was dreading the fact that my kids might be going into a similar situation. And then I found this organization and was, uh, well, when I first walked in, it was basically, this has got to be too good to be true. <laughs> Seriously, it's an exceptional facility.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, because of that, I could go to work and not worry about my kids. Mm-hmm.
0: And you have three kids, yeah. right? Yeah. You told us you have two twin girls who are nine.
2: Yeah, they're yeah. nine now. They were four then.
0: Right, And a son who's seven. Who yes. Yeah. two then. So... Explain uh, to me – I don't have young kids, so explain to me the difference that – why you would uh, call MACM such a quality, high-quality daycare facility versus one that you had previously been uh, connected with.
2: One of the differences that I noticed, of course, is the facility, and they have this facility that was designed and built specifically for child care. And it looks – you know, it's clean, it's bright, it's – You know, it looks like a lot of elementary schools, actually. And they have, you know, the the large playground that's designed specifically for children. The facility I worked in was uh, using basements and basically anybody who would give us the space. Um, And beyond that, uh, the staff there is exceptional. Uh, I know that the lead teachers are required to have degrees. Rebecca can probably speak more on what requirements they have. But I know that a lot of the teachers that have been there have been there 20-plus years, which speaks very highly for the program, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, how about the requirements for your teachers?
1: Teachers um, do re- are required to have a degree in education or a certification in early childhood education. And, in fact, uh, the majority of our teacher aides also have that same certification. Mm-hmm.
0: And what size is the staff?
1: We have for each classroom we have one full time teacher and then one um, full time aide and then there are additional substitutes and things um, that help round out the um, the staff because we're open longer than a average eight hour day so you 'll have some staff at the beginning of the day and the end of the day to sort of make sure that we have enough staff in the building um, but there's primarily two staff people in each classroom mm-hmm.
3: so what is the cost per year
1: or per semester mm-hmm. uh, for a child to be enrolled? We um, assess our fees on a sliding scale. It costs us $180 a week to care for one child. Mm-hmm. The average family pays 45 Okay. Mm-hmm. And the range is anywhere from $30 to um, the full price of 180 depending on the, the household size and household income.
3: And what if um, you don't have particular financial issues? Do you accept students um, that aren't, don't have any financial issues at home?
1: Yes, um, Anyone, regardless of financial situation, is welcome to enroll or to be put on the waiting list. There are a lot of variables involved in enrolling a child. Um, We have to consider whether they live in the county or within the city limits and their age. So there's a lot of things that have to be considered when we're talking about when we could enroll a child. But someone who um, is of a higher income and could pay the full price – is welcome to apply and to be put on the waiting list. Priority would be given to a lower-income family because that's the population we're trying to serve, but um, everyone is welcome.
0: Okay. All right, 855-0811, Our two guests today are Rebecca Stanzi and Heather Winnie. They're both uh, representing um, Monroe County United Ministries. Um, you have various services. Daycare is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Childcare is one of them. Um, you also have a food pantry. Mm-hmm. To talk about the services that you offer with your food pantry.
1: Sure. The food pantry is part of our emergency <clears throat> services program. And within that program, we have a variety of services. We do food assistance, um, some limited financial aid. Um, we have a voucher program with Opportunity House. Um, we have what we call our cleaning closet, which supplies hygiene and cleaning supplies. We can provide bus tickets, make referrals to other programs. So there are a lot of uh, services are available to families who come in looking for some sort of emergency assistance. That program is aimed at helping people who are experiencing a short-term financial crisis sort of get through the crisis and get back to self-sufficiency so that it doesn't expand into a lifelong struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, The food pantry is by far the largest service that we provide, um, and we have seen a a growing demand for that particular service. Um, Over the past two years, we've seen a 75% increase in the number of families requesting food assistance. Um, And that's just steady growth month to month to month. So um, it's of grave concern to us because we're beginning to struggle to be able to meet their needs. Mm -hmm. What do you attribute this to? That is a question that we are asked a lot and we have no answer. Um, Some people who come in will talk about the fact that gas price increases have created a strain on their family budget, that food price increases, that they are um, unemployed or lost their job when a plant closed. There are a lot of different factors, but there's not one sort of central thing mm-hmm. that we can point to to say this is something we need to work on in order to alleviate this problem.
0: Now, Heather, before you mentioned uh, you referred to Macam as sort of one-stop shopping. Yeah. Can you uh, explain that a little bit?
2: I think what interests me because, of course, I'm interested in child care um, as a professional as well as a parent but also nonprofit agencies and this one is so well run. Um, <clears throat> and having... The way this is set up with Opportunity House, for example, which I really need to thank Opportunity House because they've provided uh, at least part of the funding for this summer's summer camp, which, of course, means my kids have this great summer camp to go to this year. Uh, so Opportunity House is all volunteer run, and, of course, all their profits go back into the child care or I don't know what other things they might support. The
1: organization as a whole.
2: Mm-hmm. But uh, so, you know, people at my stage and... Um, which mine would be, I don't know, I guess I would be the working poor. (laughs) But, you know, because I am employed and I am working full time, but I still need a little bit of help and they can help me, but they can also help people who need basic services like food. Mm -hmm. And uh, with their newsletters, they're always uh, discussing need for soap and socks and, you know, basic things that people, I guess, forget that some people don't have and can't afford. So it's basically, you know, they're helping everyone within that demographic, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so how does one, uh, if, if, you, if you can pick out, I mean, we have Heather here and she's a client or a, a parent who, mm-hmm. who has some services, but how do most people um, come to you I, I, that's kind of a bad question. How do they question, find but, you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how, do they, how do people find you and what you know, what circumstance, what range of circumstances are they in, the people mm-hmm. that you deal with on a regular basis?
1: For both of our programs, the child care and emergency services, I think the majority of the people come through word of mouth. So, um, you know, we do a great job of distributing information, putting flyers out and, and distributing brochures. And we find out that very little, you know, very few people pick up a brochure and say, oh, this is a place for me. They actually hear it from someone like Heather, who's really enthusiastic and supportive of the program and knows that their friend or person who works down the hall could also benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Emergency services is sort of the same way. A lot of those people who are benefiting from those services are also in touch with other agencies in the community. So referrals is a big thing for emergency services. So if you sign up for uh, some form of assistance through the Community Action Program or through your trustee, most likely you're going to get information about MACM services as mm-hmm. well.
0: Okay. Rebecca, how long have you been there and and how did you start working at MACM?
1: I've been with MACM for two years and I actually got to know the organization um, from working at United Way for several years before that.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. <laughs>
1: let's go back to the financials, um, or the numbers, I guess I should say, uh,
3: just a little bit. You say you have potentially 120 places, but only 80 enrolled and then 50 on the waiting list. Mm -hmm. Um, I assume you're having a budget shortfall that's preventing you from opening up those additional spaces?
1: Yes. The struggle is, I mentioned before that it costs us $180 a week. The average family on the sliding fee scale pays $45, so we have to make up that difference. And we're able to do that in a variety of ways, but just not to the level where we're able to fully enroll all the kids. Childcare is an extremely expensive service to provide because of all the staffing that's required, and it's just a challenge. Right. It's really labor-intensive, mm-hmm. isn't it? What's
0: a, what's a typical day like for uh, Heather's kids when they come to Mackham for daycare?
1: Well, she her kids are in the summer camp program, which is a mm-hmm. nine-week program. Um, their situation is a little bit different from the younger kids, but the similar schedule. They come in sort of have, um, you know, free play in the morning depending on what time they get there. And then structured activities are usually between 9 and 11. For the summer campers, that might mean a craft project or I think a few days ago they were making volcanoes in a box. Lots of field which trips. was Yeah, lots uh-huh. of fun and lots of field trips. So they go skating or bowling or to the park or to some community activity. Um, they The summer campers then have lunch after their um, scheduled activity, and then they go swimming at Mills Pool, which is right across the street from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the younger kids um, often go swimming in the morning, and then they take a nap, lucky them, right after lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I want to enroll for that program. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> and in the afternoon, they um, participate either in activities in the classroom or out in the um, the playground that are still sort of structured around the curriculum, but less likely to be the kids sitting in a circle or working at a table together. It might be more um, open for free play. And um, throughout the day, there are various meals. I mentioned lunch. They also do um, two snacks and breakfast in addition to lunch. So we keep them moving. They stay mm-hmm. busy during the day.
2: And there, there is another thing in, in that that's great that I've noticed is that they tend to bring the community in to the day, mm-hmm. daycare facility. So uh, my children have had uh, dance instruction and there was an art teacher that came in and was teaching them about line and form and some of the things that they wouldn't otherwise get. Mm-hmm. Right now they have somebody coming in to do karate with them, which is <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> but so, you know, those are things that a lot of the children in this community might not otherwise be exposed to.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. all right. Yeah. Phone numbers again 85508118772859348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana. Do you have um, kitchen services or kitchen facilities? At we McEwensoe? do.
1: We do. Um, we have a dining room that all uh, the kids eat in. It's actually sort of unusual for a childcare facility. Usually, kids eat in their own mm-hmm. classroom space. And we found that it's much cleaner and less um, pressure on the teacher to think about serving and cleaning up, in addition to all their teaching responsibilities. And it takes less time out of the classroom activity. So they have their own dining space with a kitchen um, and we have a cook and an assistant cook and their goal is to provide seventy five percent of the child 's nutritional needs through the two snacks and two meals a day
3: mm-hmm. Wow okay. do you um, do do food works do any of your food for your programming
1: no we 're uh, pretty much self sufficient for our, our food um, for the child care program okay mm-hmm.
0: okay and for those who don 't know food works is the uh the catering company that Middleway House runs. Right. So.
1: Right. And uh, that
0: brings up another point. You, and you mentioned that you work for United Way. Um, could you talk about the the cooperation among agencies in in the Monroe County area?
1: Sure. Um, for both of our programs, it is crucial that we be involved with other organizations in the community, um, emergency services. Unfortunately, the way a lot of the grant funding that various agencies work under that 's a very limited amount that you can do for each individual family. so what we end up doing is someone needs help with their I'm making a rental payment because they 've experienced um, an unexpected expense. We're able to sometimes pay half the rent and then Salvation Army is able to put in a little bit and um, the trustee is able to contribute a portion. So we work together like that to um, address individual situations. Also, um, one of the most important things that our caseworkers do is make referrals to other agencies because we're not able to help them with every single issue that the family is facing. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that they're enrolled in the food stamp program if they're eligible, that they know about the WIC program, that women, in and Children Nutrition Program, if they're um, that's appropriate for their situation. A lot of the people who come into to see our caseworkers are under a lot of stress because they have a very stressful home life, um, life situation, not being able to take care of themselves. And so we make a lot of referrals to counseling services. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the child care is sort of a similar situation. We... If a child is presenting some sort of a problem, a behavioral problem or learning disability, we have places where we can refer parents to get further assistance, the specialized assistance that we're not able to provide. And then in addition, agencies come in to provide some of the services. That Heather was talking about recreational services, but then also um, assessments for our children that we do annually. Um, um, sometimes we have, gosh, vision and hearing screening from IU students, just any sort of... Um, Resource that we can bring in and and make happen for our kids, um, it's vital for us to be able to tap into the community mm-hmm. for that.
0: Now, the you alluded to this before. Mary Catherine asked a question about you know why you're seeing more need for certain uh, services. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd like to maybe ask you to. Expand on that a little bit. You've been involved with social services for a while, and you've mm-hmm. been at Macam for two years, and United Way before that. Um, could you just talk about the 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 atmosphere, what you're seeing in terms of the, of the kinds of people that are coming to you, the numbers of people that are coming to you, and do you think I, I it's not unique to MACM. So it's yeah. more of a social service um, network mm-hmm. issue. So could you sort of approach it as a social service sure. network issue?
1: Yeah, we're definitely not the only agency that's experienced an increased need. Now, the food demand is really the issue that we've become most aware of um, The other emergency assistance programs, uh, services that we provide also have seen increases, but not at the same dramatic level, and we haven't talked to similar organizations about those issues. That's not been a a community conversation that we've had, but a lot of food-serving agencies are experiencing this demand. Um, Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, for one, is um, seeing increases similar to ours. I noticed that the Salvation Army had a sign outside their door um, last week saying that their food pantry was low and, and requesting donations, so... As I said, we don't know what's causing it, but it is a community-wide issue. Um, I was speaking with Julio uh, Alonzo, who's the director of the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, uh, recently, and he said that—brought up the point that a lot of people say, oh, a lot of people come from surrounding counties to Monroe County, and that's why our numbers are so high or growing because people—the word is spreading that a lot of people are migrating to us. But, in fact, MACM only serves Monroe County residents. You have to be living in Monroe County. And um, so that's not definitely not the case for us. People are not coming from out of county to access our services. And it's not the the same old people who are coming back for additional services. Um, last year we got requests for food assistance from over 1,000 new families, families that have never been to see MACM before. We had no record of their um, ever being in contact with us before. And so far this year we've seen over 500 new families. Okay. So. It's not – there's no clear-cut answer as to what's going on, but it's affecting obviously a lot of people.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, you were quoted in a story I believe was in our paper. I've looked Uh at several things. Uh (laughs) (laughs) You you were talking about it in a particular story that I I read um, about the Children's Defense Fund and the numbers. It it said that there are 14.8 percent of young Hoosiers – the Children's Defense Fund says are poor or mm-hmm. are in poverty, mm-hmm. and you are quoted as saying you think that that number you know, understates the case that there are more than fourteen point eight percent, um, and that there's you know a constant. Um, possibility that more could slip into poverty. Do you remember that?
1: I actually don't remember that, but I'd be willing to go <laughs> along with it. <laughs>
0: you think that's, uh, do you think that, that the, the the issue of poverty among young people is understated? Mm-hmm. I guess that would be the general question.
1: Well, I do think that it's very difficult. It's a difficult issue for people to research and track. Um, especially when you're talking about people who are sort of self-identifying, people are reluctant to identify themselves as falling into that particular population. So, um, and as the demand rises for things like food assistance, that's clearly that more children are affected by that, that more families are at risk and therefore more, more children are.
0: Yeah. I think part of that uh, issue also was just had to do with the poverty guidelines, that the federal government mm-hmm. sets, because the guidelines, um, this figure that i have uh, written down here is, is a family of four earning over $19,350 a year would be above the poverty guideline. Yes. And yes. Heather and I were
1: speaking. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm so rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were talking about that this morning on the way over here, that um, the idea of a family of four existing on $19,000 is just ridiculous, which mm-hmm. is why qualification for a lot of assistance programs is 200% of poverty so that mm-hmm. they do adjust a little bit for that, but it's still um, unreasonably low.
2: Right. And uh, you know, I have to wonder because has the how often is this number reexamined? Because for my family, thank goodness I got my van paid off because now I can afford to put gas in it. Yeah. But <laughs> I can't afford to get a car that gets better gas mileage because of how much I'm paying for gas. Yeah. So you get caught in these <laughs> little circles, especially when you're when you're in that gap. I think between being extremely poor. And fully self-supporting, especially if you're raising children. So what is poverty? I mean, Mm -hmm. who's defining that? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, Heather, you identified yourself as the working poor. Um, And and I'm glad you did. I think that's a very honest appraisal. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always been struck when we have these conversations about poverty that, that there are a lot of people that just don't understand um, what kind of issues are faced by the working poor? You talk about daycare right. for your children, mm-hmm. transportation you just mentioned one health care issues school costs school costs i mean could right. you could you just sort of talk <laughs> talk about that in general as a person who faces? Well, I that? I think
2: that one thing people don 't i don 't think people recognize what the face of the working poor is, for example while I'm a single parent, I have a very involved ex-husband who pays his child support regularly. He picks up his children every Wednesday and every other weekend. He's very involved with their extracurricular activities. Um, Both he and I have degrees um, and we're struggling. And um, so I think it's important that people understand that. It's not just a, well, they shouldn't have gone out and had five kids by five different people kind of problem. Right. Yeah.
0: Which, of course, you didn't do.
2: No, no I didn't right. do no. Same father and everything. But, and we were married, too. But, um, the problems that I face predominantly would involve child care, after-school care. Um, my level, you know, I don't worry about food on the table, thank goodness, but I also have Parents who help me out when they can and but you know when it comes to back to school time I'm thinking, okay, we need new backpacks, we mm-hmm. need new shoes, we're gonna need new clothing, all those back to school supplies. Um, and then if school, school starts and they're asking us for more money for this thing, mm-hmm. that thing. Every thing, time the you other turn thing, around they're tapping you for five dollars here, ten dollars. Yeah, I mean there, there's always yeah. something. And for a family like me, if there's one extra thing thrown in there, it can throw us off, mm-hmm. right, or a car so. repair is can be disastrous, right, right, yeah, so yeah i 'm glad I know my mechanic personally, so <laughs> he 's not going to take advantage, yeah. but it is hard, especially because I would like to get a new car. I would like to uh get organic food for my kids there 's a lot of things that we can 't do, and i 've talked to some friends about that too, where uh it 's a shame that you have to be rich to be uh, environmentally conscious mm-hmm. because there's a lot of things that we would like to do that we just you can't do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think Heather brings up a good point that there
1: is um, a lot of different sort of faces of poverty that people are uh, dealing with a lot of different situations and different challenges. and But the majority of the folks that we work with in emergency services especially are sort of walking that line between um, – living paycheck to paycheck and then having some sort of unexpected expense that tips you over. It's very, um, very common for someone to come in because they've lost a a job or um, their spouse or have an illness and just have those expenses or additional lifestyle change that just make it impossible for them to continue with their same level of income. And our job is to fill in the gap until they're able to get back on their feet. But- it's the reasons that people come in for assistance are as varied as the number of people themselves, and so it's it's important for everyone I think to realize that it's not just a, a there's not one stereotype that goes along with poverty. There are a lot of issues involved. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, we've hit uh, break time, so we're going to take a short break. Uh, the phone numbers again are eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, and you can send your email to noon at indiana. edu. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
4: www.southdunnstreet.info. This evening at 6.30 on the outdoor terrace of the IU Art Museum, it's Jazz in July, with New Orleans R&B, Zydeco, Blues, Jazz, and Swing Music by Craig and the Crawdads, led by Craig Brenner. At the Brown County Playhouse, it's Arms and the Man by George Bernard Shaw, with performances tonight, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, and the next weekend as well. The IU Summer Music Festival presents an outdoor band concert on Wednesday the 26th with conductors Stephen Pratt, Matthew Brunner, and baritone soloist Howard Swires. More about these and many other events on our website, wfiu.indiana.edu.
0: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. We're talking with uh, two people today about poverty issues. Rebecca Stanzi is here with us. She's the development coordinator for Monroe County United Ministries and Heather Winnie, self-described working poor uh, and a parent uh, who has been involved with Monroe County United Ministries for five years. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Uh, Rebecca, you mentioned uh, before we went on the air that you had a food drive coming up. Could you talk about the details of that?
1: Sure. Uh, First of all, I'd like to say that the vast majority of the food that we give out um, from our pantry is donated by community members. And last year we gave out enough food to our clients to make 48,000 meals. So that's a lot of food, uh, which requires a lot of community support. And we do get strong support from the community, but um, at this point, it's not keeping up with the increases in demand that we've seen. So we've added to our calendar a community-wide food drive on August 26th and 27th and we are going to have volunteers stationed at uh, the area grocery stores distributing information about um, local hunger and Macomb's pantry needs and then hopefully collecting a lot of donations from generous shoppers. So the stores that are participating in that drive are um, Blooming Foods on the east side, Bueller's Bilo in uh, Ellettsville, all the Kroger locations in Bloomington and all the Marsh locations in Bloomington, Homalias, uh, Sam's Club, and Walmart. So, um, on the 26th and the 27th, which is, I believe, the weekend before uh, IU starts back to school, we'll have these volunteers uh, stationed there from 10 to 4, distributing information, making suggestions as to what shoppers can buy for the pantry, and then hopefully collecting those donations. Rebecca, what if somebody would like to help before that? Sure. We encourage donations year-round, obviously. Um, um, We need donations um, over the course of the year as well as during our large food drives, and folks are welcome to donate at any time. They can bring um, their donations to our office, which is located on the near west side next to Tri-North Middle School and Mills Pool or um, if you are organizing a large food drive at your workplace or your congregation and you need the food to be picked up, we're happy to make those arrangements as well. So if you have any questions about how best to uh, go about collecting food, you can call our office.
3: Specifically, what kind of items would you like? Let's say somebody was going to go to the grocery this afternoon and they thought, well, I'll fill up an extra bag for Macam. What mm-hmm. would you ask that they choose?
1: Well, we try to give everyone um, a variety of healthy foods. So sort of the way I recommend people think about it is think about what you're buying for your family and then Mm -hmm. buy some extra for another family in the Mm -hmm. community. Um, But non-perishable. Non-perishable, yes. We do canned and boxed foods only. um, And we encourage everything from canned fruit and vegetables and meats, to dry goods um, like pasta, uh, baking mixes, things like that. We have a um, a monthly newsletter that's posted on our website that has a list of current um, needs. But if you buy pantry staples um, for the pantry, then you'll be in good shape. We can put everything to good use.
0: We've talked about uh, some of the cooperation among agencies. What kind of relationship do you have with uh, Hoosier Hoosier Hills Food Bank and -hmm. uh, and the community kitchen?
1: We are a member of the food bank, uh, which means that we go shopping down there, um, and we have some great volunteers who run our pantry and do our shopping for us, and we're able to buy... whatever they have on hand um, at an extremely low price per pound. And uh, we really value that that relationship. It's, it's crucial for our operation and other food serving agencies in the community. Um, we don't have much direct contact with the community kitchen except to occasionally swap donations. If we get something that we can't use, but we know they can, we'll take it over to them and vice versa. Because mm-hmm. um, there are just some things that we can't use if someone gives us a 30-gallon drama baked beans, you know, we can't give that to a family of six, but we can take it over to the community kitchen. They can serve it up in one night. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. 855 877-285-9348, and noon at indiana.edu. Um, Heather, from your perspective, what kinds of uh, services could Bloomington add to its list of, you know, if, if you had a wish list, you know, oh what, what, what would you think? What, what do you think that our community could use?
2: Um... <laughs> I would say uh, actually a lot of people that would be impoverished need um, empowered and they need to be respected. Um, Those are some of the things that I've noticed um, over the years that, you know, if you don't show them that they're worthy of the same respect you are, they're not going to think they are either. And then how do you expect them to get up and take care of themselves if, you know, they're, they're treated that way? Bloomington, I think, is a very rich community. I think as far as a place to land off and be poor, <laughs> you're pretty <laughs> lucky if you land in Bloomington. The social service agencies, um, I was on the board of the United Way for a couple of years. So they pretty much they've got most everything covered to some degree. Of course, uh, programs that help give people a hand up instead of a handout, I'm always in support of. Uh, So affordable child care, uh, non-traditional affordable child care for people working second and third shift, I think Mm. is something that the community doesn't necessarily Mm. have at this time. Of course, that's hard as far as licensing standards to be open that long. (coughs) Um, What else would be on my wish list?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca, do you have a wish list?
2: Uh, Well, I agree with uh, Heather that –
1: standards uh, are are one a good place to start um, because we are asking for folks we, we are ga- are i 'm trying to get my thoughts organized here everyone 's goal in the social service community is to get people to be self sufficient and to not need their services anymore um, so I think the attitude that goes along with that is um, crucial. We work really hard to be Respectful of clients and to encourage them to take control over their um, their situation and um, improve it. Um, I, unfortunately, I don't know if that's always the case in all of the programs that are available to folks in this community and across the country. Um, and I agree that the nontraditional childcare is a is a need. Um, shelter is also a, a challenge that we face in making referrals to homeless families in the emergency services program, especially family shelter. There just is not the space in the community for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm.
0: I think a couple of things that, you know, in, in my job over the years that I've learned about poverty, and I guess I'm just going to toss these out and, and get your reaction is you mentioned shelter, um, homelessness in Bloomington and Monroe County is an issue that uh, I think we, we described it in a series of stories several years ago as the hidden homeless, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of folks who um, can't afford A home of their own, but you wouldn't maybe know it because they're living with a friend or Mm -hmm. they're living with a family member. Mm -hmm. Is that still an issue?
1: I, I believe so. I think a lot of people, when they hear homeless, they think of some of the folks that maybe hang out on Kirkwood and might ask you for quarters, you pass by. But in fact, the The scope, again, is much broader. There's no stereotype that goes along with homeless. It could be um, a young person who's moving from couch to couch amongst their friends and family. It could be an older person doing the same thing. It's uh, maybe a family uh, with children living in a car. So there is a broad spectrum, and it's not always the the visible one that you see. Mm
0: -hmm. And another issue that... uh that I think I had my eyes open to uh, at, one, at one panel or one one point uh, when I was talking with folks about poverty issues was the transportation issue, and and mm-hmm. you mentioned the the working second third shift, right. the non traditional um, uh, child care, but there are also transportation needs for people who might want to work second right. and third shift who yeah. mm-hmm. don't have
2: them. You know, there there's some of the things too with Bloomington where it's perhaps not such a good way to land in Bloomington. <laughs> In that, you know, they were just ranked like the fifth city in the U.S. as far as the number of master's degrees. Mm -hmm. So someone like me with a bachelor's degree, that doesn't mean much in Bloomington. So it keeps, you know, my earning potential down and probably that of a lot of people. Um, But housing is so high Mm -hmm. in Bloomington. So, you know, where I had a parent in the position to put a down payment down on a house so I would be paying a mortgage instead of rent therefore making it affordable for me to own a home rent is crazy in this town mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I have a friend right now that's trying to find a home and she's not finding anything under 800 a month and it's just how do you afford that? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah and they'll, they'll Less expensive housing is farther out, which is farther away from jobs and services. Yeah. And I mean, so I'm, then you're I'm back on to the, the transportation west issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I've often thought maybe what we need is a, a reduced fee garage or, or, you know, some kind of, <laughs> of way Something. to keep yeah. people um, right. with viable transportation. Uh-huh. Especially and of course, in-
2: yeah, if, and if you're a parent, too, you've got kids to drop off here and things right. that you have to do. And so carpooling isn't much of an option either. And mass transit out into the county isn't Doesn't, very viable yeah. either. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's just there's lots of little things that keep people from perhaps advancing as much as they could or as fast as they could.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And as far as transportation goes,
1: we have seen a very dramatic increase in requests for bus tickets since the gas prices have gone up. Heather mentioned earlier mm-hmm. about filling up the tank is a major <sighs> expense these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so our bus tickets and then also... One of those sort of triggering events that often tips people off of the month-by-month schedule into financial crisis is if your car breaks down and Mm -hmm. there's just no place to have it fixed. We actually refer people to the Hoosier Hills Career Center where they have a program where they'll they'll fix your car for the cost of the parts, but they're so backed up that – it's months and months waiting to, to get a car in there.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then you're in the position, well, do I pay my rent or do I pay to get my car fixed mm-hmm. so I can get to work? Yes. And how do
2: I get to work? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. those cycles.
0: Well, we have about 15 minutes to go in the program. I'm just kind of surprised that nobody's called to talk to Heather and, and Rebecca yet, but we're happy to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> 855-0811, and noon at indiana.edu. We're talking with uh, – Becca Stanzi and Heather Winnie, and we're, they're both uh, representing Monroe County United Ministries. We uh, are talking about some sort of uh, broader uh, poverty issues as well as specific things about, about MACM. So um, I just want to mention, because you you talked about self-sufficiency, and, mm-hmm. and I think we've had Toby Stroud on here many times, but I think that their programs are sort of a model for what you're talking about, because they've put together, we mentioned Food Works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Earlier today, and they also have the uh, document, document, document destruction. destruction. Mm-hmm. So they've they've figured out they sort of have a model, it seems to me, for uh, programs that put people to work and give them an opportunity to to stay self sufficient. Mm-hmm.
1: So yes, yeah, so that is a, definitely a wonderful program. Uh, our emergency services program is set up more. Um, not to be quite as in depth, where we sometimes see families that come in once, and then we'll never see them again. Um, sometimes family come in come in um, a, a few months in a row, and then we'll never see them again. So it, it really varies um, in terms of how we're set up. What we try to do is connect them to other resources. Um, if a family's having trouble making. It on their budget. And our caseworker sort of feels like there might be sufficient funds there. If they had maybe some additional skills, we'll refer them to the um, Purdue Extension Office um, for budget counseling, sort of some ideas about how to make their grocery money go further mm-hmm. or how to balance their budget and how to track their, their expenditures. So there are a lot of resources out there. But a program like Middleways where they're able to do a lot of intensive work um, and, and sort of address all of the needs in, the, in that family um, is really valuable for them yeah
0: Okay, we have a phone call. We ask and our <laughs> listeners excellent Answer, I appreciate that charlie go ahead
5: yeah hi uh, i 've been in social services myself for uh oh for a good good twenty years in different capacities. I actually started my my career uh, here in Wilmington um, I currently live in Minnesota, and Minnesota's i've noticed such a big difference between the state's um, social a whole array of social services programming in throughout the country, how different it is from state to state. And I was wondering if you could reflect for a minute on the changes that, on the um, I got into the program a little late so I apologize if you' already if you've already discussed it but the changes of the welfare to work program and how the uh, of the federal government and the state governments, and how those legislation, legislative changes have affected the uh, affected, uh, not just
2: Indiana, but the United States. What a great question, okay, Charlie. Charlotte.
0: Either one of you, Bill.
2: Uh, feel... Well, I can address that on one level. A few years ago, after my children had been in the program at Mackum, and we were on a state assistance to help with the child care uh, cost for myself. And then the state decided that they no longer had money to provide this service, and they were putting it back into the the welfare pot. So basically one day I had assistance, and the next day they told me I made too much money, Mm -hmm. which very much, you know, it would have been likely that I would have ended up quitting my job and going on welfare. I had three Mm -hmm. children in full-time child care at the time, so I could work Mm full-time. There was no way that I could work and pay 180 times Mm -hmm. Mm 3 I just couldn't. But, of course, that's when Mackum picked up and said, no, 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 we're not going to charge you full rate. We're going to find a way, and they, they found a way. But I think that uh, way too often, as far as the welfare to work, they're dropping you off 20 feet from shore. Mm-hmm. And that's where these programs, I think, are most crucial to the community. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, there's also a time limit. Isn't there a, a time limit on the on the being enrolled in the program, and then your my impression was uh, that you're then you're all of a sudden you're just cut off?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly what the time limit is, but there is one, and um, that is a common complaint, that every situation is different, every family is different, and so to have a, an arbitrary timeline that cuts people off before usually they're ready, and as Heather said, before they've reached shore, um, does not address the problem.
5: I'd heard like if five, I don't know, for some reason, five, five years... years mm-hmm sticks to my yeah, mind. Yeah, very
0: possible. Yeah. 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 Okay, Charlie. All
5: right, thank you very Thanks. much. Where
0: are you thank calling you. from, Charlie? Oh,
5: I'm calling from Bloomington.
0: Oh, okay. So you're visiting.
5: <laughs> I, that is correct. Okay, good. Wow, glad to have you back. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. All right. Okay, bye.
0: Bye. 855 and noon at indiana.edu. I wanted to follow up to Charlie's question just to ask about uh, changes in state and federal guidelines, programs. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we it seems like we write about how, well, there's less state aid, there's less federal aid. Are are we just, you know, are we generalizing or is that true? Uh,
1: In our case, it is true. Um, What I'm most familiar with is the Child Care Development Fund, which provides vouchers directly to families um, who qualify for essentially free care. They are able to bring us a voucher and we're reimbursed by the state. Um, That's federal money that's administered by the state, and that money has been – sort of steadily reduced over the past few years. Um, And that's put, as Heather said, quite a few of our families in in crisis. The one day you have free childcare, and the next day you don't, Um, you're not suddenly going to be able to go out and and get a job that pays twice as much so that you can cover your increased expenses. It's um, something that we've really had to work hard at so that children wouldn't get um, pulled from the program due to inability to pay. Something else that's frustrating about that situation is that Indiana is not taking advantage of all of the federal money that is available for the child care fund. Um, I'm not sure of the specifics, but there's some sort of a match that the state has to provide in order to get that federal money, and um, they don't feel that they're in a position to be able to provide the full match so that we don't get the full funding. Hmm. And it it puzzles me because, as as we were talking about, um, child care is such a central part to people's self-sufficiency, to being able to Get employed and stay employed to have health care benefits. Um, there are so many things tied to employment, and um, you know, having employment over time so that you're qualifying for raises, that you're building your resume, you're doing mm-hmm. things that's going to help your family long term. And so, the idea of not accessing all of the money that's available to help those families access childcare is is very frustrating for us. All it right. Seems like kind of short term thinking. Yes, doesn't definitely. It? Yeah, that's really
3: frustrating.
0: We have another phone call. Joe's on the line. Joe.
3: Yeah, hi. Uh, I
5: was uh, listening to the program, and I'm very impressed by what's uh, being done by this uh, uh, school. Uh, I just have uh, one point. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton uh, was uh, really uh, in poverty, an underprivileged child. It did very well, but unfortunately, um, I don't think we're going to be able to cope with uh, uh, our gifted and talented kids the same way they did in 16th century Britain. Uh, I'm just wondering to what extent I understand that the program is underfunded and uh, there are a lot of problems, but uh, is anybody paying attention to the fact that we really have to find within uh, the, those kids that are in poverty those who are also gifted and talented because otherwise uh, our nation is being shortchanged?
0: Yeah. All right, good. That's a good question, I guess. Uh, what
5: and I'll hang up and listen.
0: All right, Joe. Well, I mean, the obvious question is Heather, is your kid Sir Isaac Newton? I saw it, but <laughs> son, actually, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but I think I think part I, I, if I can paraphrase what Joe says, I think he, he's asking about the programs that you have, enrichment mm-hmm. programs. What mm-hmm. kind of what kind of play? What kind of educational mm-hmm. events do you have? Mm-hmm. I, I think.
1: Well, I'll say that um, our primary goal is to make sure that the kids that come into our program have access to the same enrichment opportunities that higher-income kids have so that they're prepared to enter school on par with their higher-income peers because we hear from teachers, research shows that kids that don't have quality preschool education, that don't have the socialization, that don't know how to stand in line or sit quietly and listen to instructions, that that really places a burden on the public school teachers when they start. And those kids that start school behind um, academically and socially have a very difficult time catching up. So I mean, our primary goal is to make sure they start on par so that they have a better chance of success in school and therefore in life long term. Um, mm-hmm. Our program, I think, it really has the potential to have a long, lifelong impact on people. Um, I don't think that we have any sort of special gifted and talented services or programs, although uh, we would know where to send... Um, parents for additional services if we thought that was appropriate, or um, how to access additional enrichment opportunities um, at a low price um, if that was appropriate. So, I, I think it's like third grade in the public school system before those kids are identified yes. and and kind of channeled into separate yes, programming. And that's, so
3: that's after they would have left
1: your program. The school system has a great way of handling those children and making sure that they go as far as they can. So I agree that I don't know if there's I don't know that much about. Um, sort of development and preschool education in terms of how things work with gifted and talented kids. But
2: we're just trying to cover the basics at this point.
0: Do you work with – I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: I can can say, though, that the teaching staff at the facility, because they are so well-trained, they typically do identify the children who are gifted and talented, and they are certainly not opposed to giving extra activities or things like that to the children that are showing – Strengths or or even working with the kids that aren't necessarily showing themselves to be Sir Isaac Newton, Uh, (laughs) you know, and the program gives the kids books and there's lots of enrichment activities with literacy and, uh, of course, all of my children started school on time or ahead. But you know, I can't really speak to whether it was the daycare or the kid or you know how that all works, mm-hmm. but I don't think within this program a, a child's going to fall through the cracks no.
1: That's the great thing about preschool education. You have to have a lower um, adult to child ratio, mm-hmm. and so you have um, an adult who might have five or six kids in their in their care, and they're really going to know their strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. and how they can um, help them in the best way possible.
0: Do you interact with wonder lab
1: we um Have had field trips to Wonder Lab, Uh and Wonder Lab sponsored a sort of a fun fest for us. We were able to, through a grant, bring them in, and they organized a family event where parents were encouraged to bring their children, and then they had the opportunity to talk to the volunteers from Wonder Lab, talk about how they could do science education at home and how to talk about concepts with their kids. So we've got kids going over there, and then we've got um, that interaction that we've had with families to help sort of engage the parents into the, the child's education, make sure they're aware of how best to, to handle things at home. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. We have just about uh, two or three minutes to go, and I want to give uh, both of you the opportunity for last comments, and also I, I want to make sure we mention that food drive again. Mm-hmm. So. Heather, you want to go first?
2: Oh, I'm trying to think of what else I could possibly say that I haven't uh-huh. said.
1: So All right. Rebecca, you want to go first? <laughs> I'd be happy to. Um, something that I didn't get to mention is that um, in 2005, we had to reduce the amount of food given out to the families that come to us for assistance Till that time we were giving a – Uh, A five-day supply of food for each person in the household, three meals a day. And because our stocks were so low, we had to cut back to a three-day food supply. And we thought we would bump right back up to the five-day food supply once the crisis passed, but um, we haven't gotten there yet. And so our goal for this year, um, just to maintain the three-day food supply distribution, is to raise 118,000 pounds of food. And so far, we're only about a quarter of the way there. So we really encourage people to get involved with uh, food collection activities and to volunteer for this uh, food drive on the 26th and 27th. And our phone number is 812-339-3429 if anybody wants to call us about this or any of the other things they've heard about today.
3: And if somebody wants to drop some food off, mm-hmm. uh, what's, what are your hours to accept food donations?
1: We are open 8 to 4, and as I mentioned, we're located next to Tri-North Middle School and Mills Pool on the near west side. And if you have any trouble finding us, as many people do, feel free to give us a call first. It um,
0: could be the world's fastest email.
3: Okay. It just says, I just wanted, to, but this is an email. I just wanted to echo the sentiments expressed by your guests regarding the misconceptions about the working poor. My wife and I both have degrees, full-time jobs, and two school-aged children. We manage to get by from week to week, but our lifestyle is far from extravagant, and an unforeseen expense is always a major concern. I feel that there are likely more people than I realize who are in the same predicament, but it seems like there's generally very little regard given to this problem.
0: All right. Last word, Heather?
1: Uh, I think that about sums it up. Okay. That's good.
0: That's good. And we are out of time. But I want to thank Heather Winnie for being here and Rebecca Stanzi. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hegeman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.
4: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.